we are continuing our series, If Walt Disney Was a Pastor. Through this series, we're taking a look at a few different Disney movies and asking the question, are there spiritual truths that we can gain from this film? And can this story be used in such a way to help me understand scripture in a new way? Um, we, uh, Jesus, when he taught, used stories that were common to the people, people things that people would understand. And in our society, uh, Disney is a monopoly of entertainment. And so um, if you, 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 you would have to go, I don't know that you could go anywhere on the earth and not meet someone who recognizes a Disney film. And so uh, t- last week, we talked about one of my favorite Disney films, my favorite Disney princess, Beauty and the Beast. And we looked at the beast within each of us and the need to allow that beast to die. Today we're going to continue our series by taking a look at another Disney film I love. In fact, this is my second favorite princess film. Uh, You're learning so much about me. And so to help me introduce today's film, I've asked Megan to join me again on the stage. She's so excited about it. We'll take a look briefly at the film Tangled, um, which is a a Disney imagining of, of the Rapunzel, the classic Rapunzel story. But for the sake of... Um, bringing you up to speed. I know I recognize not everyone is a Disney family in the way that my family is a Disney family. So I know that there may be a disconnect here. Uh, for some of you, you may not have even seen this film. So let me bring you up to speed on their story and how they tell the story of Rapunzel. Uh, the, the queen gets pregnant, but gets sick. So she's given a magic flower that helps prevent her death during maternity. Um, the uh, Princess Rapunzel is born as a result of this with magic hair that has healing and rejuvenating properties. The princess is kidnapped by a vain woman who on- only wants Rapunzel for the ability to bring back her youth, and she is raised as her own. Pr- the uh, Princess Rapunzel is locked in a hidden tower in the middle of the forest. She's, uh, every year she sees mysterious lights in the sky on her birthday. Every year on her birthday, mysterious lights appear in the sky. And these lights draw her to find out more. Mom won't, mom won't let her leave the, the tower though. And so with the help of a bandit whom she meets, she escapes the tower and goes on an adventure. The bandit promises to show her the lights in exchange for his stolen treasure to be returned to him. Adventure and hilarity ensue. Rapunzel discovers the lights are actually lanterns which were lit and launched in memory of a lost princess. Rapunzel realizes she is the lost princess. <gasps> Rapunzel, I even have that in my notes, just gasp. Didn't want to miss it. Rapunzel reunites with her family and falls in love with the bandit who has changed his ways out of love for her happily ever after. That's the quick story of Rapunzel. It's a great film. I highly recommend it. Also today, we're going to look at a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Would you join me in prayer for a moment? Dear God, we we ask that you will illuminate your words. God, we enjoy this series. We're having fun with this series, but God, it is not about what Walt Disney created, but it is about helping us understand your word. And so Lord, let it be about your word this morning. Illuminate your scripture in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Somewhat ironically, if you were able to stay with, this is a passage of scripture you have to read multiple times to really understand what he is saying. But basically, uh, the gist of it is that God's wisdom to ungodly people doesn't make sense. It isn't, in fact, wise. In fact, when you hear godly wisdom, when you talk about the cross of Jesus, it actually sounds quite foolish, quite silly. Um, But to those in Christ, it is powerful. It is wise. It is is, um, important. And so he kind of takes a stab at Jewish law, and he also takes a little jab at Greek philosophy. So it's somewhat ironic this morning that the next thing I'm going to do is tell you a story from classical Greek philosopher Plato. Uh, Plato lived and taught about 500 years prior to Paul's writings. So Plato was a, a player on the world stage. His writings were known by this point. So Paul is directly addressing the philosopher to whom we're going to talk about. But he, he told a story that uh, I believe echoes some themes from Tangled. Um, and I, I believe will help us unpack this scripture. Uh, can I have a couple kids help me? We're going to, we're just going to add, we're just going to, um, uh, yeah, yeah. If you want to come up here, just come up here. It's all right. I don't, it doesn't matter. Nick, can I get that white screen? It's just a blank white. Yeah, perfect. Okay. All right, kids, you're going to come here and you're going to just face the screen for me. Um, okay. No, it's not a quiz. Fact. It doesn't matter. Don't look, don't look at this stuff. It doesn't matter. All right. So now we have, we don't have a lot of time. So please forgive me in a few things. Sometimes I have to oversimplify certain things. And in order to uh, teach this story today, I do have to oversimplify parts. So please don't crucify me later for sabotaging Plato's works. Listen, that's not my intention. I just, I have a very limited amount of time. Plato tells a story of some people who were locked in a cave. cave. They were born in the cave. They were shackled. So pretend like from this point on, you are shackled. You cannot move your body or your head. You are to face forward and face forward only. I know it's going to be hard for you guys to stand still, but that's all right. So he tells a story of what if there was a group of people who were born in a cave and raised in a cave facing a wall, a wall with one single light source behind them, a fire or whatever. In their time, it would have had to be a fire because... um, 
They didn't have electricity. So one single light source behind them. And imagine then that throughout their life, occasionally passing things or people or objects would pass through the light source. There it is. On occasion, those things would pass through the light source and it would be illuminated on the back wall. But only, only, only their shadows. And every now and then, a, a different thing would come. He's a me. They could hear sounds. They could see the shadow. All right. So this is the story. This is the scenario he sets. Is this these people who are trapped in a cave? Only the only the only understanding they have of the outside world is the shadows they've seen on the wall. That's it. They've never seen another person. They've never known what a dog looks like. Only his shadow. They've never seen a movie or, or anything like that. They only know shadows. Only know shadows. And one day, one of them gets free. Shackles are broken. And he turns, and the first thing he notices is the light source that he's never seen. He's only seen it on the wall, but he's never looked directly at the light source. It's blinding. It's piercing. His eyes hurt. But he notices behind, as his eyes begin to adjust, he notices a faint second light source. And he follows that second light source only to discover the entrance to the cave. And when he leaves the cave, that moment the sun nearly burns his eyes out. Because he's never seen the sun. He's never seen such a bright light. He's never experienced anything like this. But as his eyes begin to adjust, he begins to see creatures. He begins to see things that look familiar, but they're unreal versions of things that he's seen on the wall. You see, he, he would see a dog, but he would know that's not a real dog because I know what a dog looks like. I've seen a dog. I've seen lots of dogs. And that is not a dog. And he would touch the dog. And he would say, this is not what a dog feels like. This isn't a real dog. And he might see a branch of a tree and he might touch it and he'd say, it looks like a tree branch, but it's not a real tree branch. Because I know what a tree branch looks like. It doesn't feel like a tree branch because I know what a tree branch feels like. And he would be confused and he'd be dismayed and he, he would have no, he, he, it would take him a while, but over time as his mind and his eyes adjusted to the outside world, he would he would actually realize, no, in fact, that is a real dog. I've never seen a real dog before. I just didn't know it. This is what a dog actually feels like. This is what a tree actually feels like. This, and he, as his mind adjusts, he would understand, wow, all my life, all I've ever seen are shadows. And what would he then do is he would return to the cave and he would excitedly tell his peers in captivity who are still chained only to the wall. As the dog walks by, he'd say, that's not a real dog. And they would say, yes, it is. We know that's a dog. All of our life, that's been a dog. It's always been a dog. We know what a dog looks like. Don't tell us that's not a dog. He'd say, no, 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 you don't understand. It's just a shadow of a dog. And they would say, what's a shadow? What's a shadow? Well, when the light 
is passing something, it's blocked, and, and all you're seeing is, and they would have no understanding. In fact, according to Plato's story, and I believe he's accurate on this, what would happen is the people who were left in the cave would reject his message. They would reject the man who brings it. And that's exactly what happens. They, they get a little bit aggressive and they, they get a little bit violent with, with them because they can't accept the fact that what this man is telling them is a reality they don't know because he's seen the light and they've only ever seen the shadow. You guys, you can have a seat. Thank you so much for helping me illustrate that um, allegory. It's called the allegory of the cave. I think it's the, the, the Republic. I think it's book seven of Plato's writings where he tells that if you want to look it up. But what? No, no. You may also notice uh, if you are a fan of the Matrix that that is like the whole concept of the Matrix as well. But, um, but Plato's allegory was originally told to make a case for philosophy as being the highest of ideals. His view was that only philosophers like himself had been set free and it was their job to bring others an understanding of the world around them. Plato believed that the world as we know it the world we experience is merely a shadow on the wall, only tangible because we believe it to be so. He believed that the physical world was merely a shadow of something greater. And I disagree with that belief, um, but I do think his, I do uh, love his allegory for another reason. As Christians, we believe we are set free from our shackles by the blood of Jesus. We are spiritually free to understand something greater than ourselves. In the movie Tangled, Rapunzel was drawn to the lights she saw every year on her birthday. In fact, when she questions Mother Gothel about it, she says, oh, those are just stars. And she says, no, Mother, I've charted the stars. These are something different. They piqued her interest. They weren't going to be explained away. Something about them called to her. And though she didn't know what they were, she knew they were important. And not just important in a general sense, but they had importance to her, specifically. In the world we live in, we have grace. Grace. We talk about grace. We, we preach about grace. And grace is present in the world we live in. In theology, there is something called common grace. Depending on uh, other belief systems that you may subscribe to, this common grace is sometimes called prevenient grace. Um, that's your Calvinism is common grace. Your Arminianism is your prevenient grace. Um, but they're essentially, at, they're very similar. Now, again, I have to teach simple because I don't have the time to unpack Arminianism, Calvinism, prevenient grace, and common grace, and the differences thereof. Look it up. It's online. But for today, for the sake of today, I'm going to treat them as very similar or the same. And to very simply explain what prevenient grace is, here's my explanation. People often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a common question that poses the problem of evil. But common grace or prevenient grace asks, why do good things happen to bad people? Why isn't there justice in the world in my sense of justice? And common grace says because Christ died on the earth, on the cross, he redeemed in part the earth. Not in full. 
That doesn't come until week four of this series. He redeemed in part the earth, and he redeemed in part mankind as a whole. And in doing so, the world lives in the grace of Jesus having died. The fact that Jesus has died in this world makes this world a better place. It means without the cross of Christ, there is no goodness in this world. Uh, you can make a case all day. Can an atheist be a moral person? Yes, if they subscribe to the morals of Christianity. <laughs> but they even, they can't, draw, there's, noth, there's nothing, there's nothing for an atheist to draw morality from. I've, I've, I've seen the arguments, trust me, I've unpacked every single one of them. There is nothing for an atheist to draw morality from. Just human, humanity, let me tell you, humankind is as fickle and as evil as anything I've ever seen. Uh, if you're drawing your, man, hum, or your morals from your humanity, you are drawing from a very, very poor source. You are drawing from a dirty well. Okay? Uh, the, the, in fact, when an atheist makes a case for I can be a moral person without God, they always default to biblical morals. Not all of them. I'll grant them that. Not all of them. Be kind to your neighbor. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Jesus said that. Now, don't kill. Don't steal from people. I mean, there's like all like, oh, wow, you're a real good. Thank you for coming up with those morals. We had them 5,000 years ago. <laughs> Whatever. Listen, I, 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 uh, I, I do think there are good people in this world, but only because of common grace. Only because grace has redeemed all of mankind in part. And then there's something called special grace. And special grace is the, the grace we receive when we accept Christ as our Savior or make the choice to be a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. That special grace is what redeems us completely that allows us to live eternally. That is not available to all. That is only available to those who choose to receive it. And that's a very, very different thing. But because of the world we live in, there is common grace. And why are you talking about common grace? And why are you talking about prevenient grace? Prevenient grace is this, this uh, grace that draws you to God. That's why I'm talking about it. Because there is goodness in the world, God shows us a part of him. He shows all of us a part of him, whether we follow him or not. And those good things in the world, the goodness that exists in the world, draws people into a relationship with him. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit draws people into relationship with him. None come to him unless they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about is when they, when they, there's things in the world that God has specifically, strategically placed throughout the world, like the vastness of the universe. Do you know how many scientists have come to faith in God simply because at the end of the day they go, I love science, but this is incredible beyond, this is beyond science. I will tell you that I have been, since a child, I have been an avid lover of science. In fact, my, when I first started looking at colleges to attend, I chose, uh, I originally wanted to go to Evangel University in Springfield because they had like 10 different science tracks. And then I would be like, which one am I going to pick? Dude, I was going to be a zoologist, a marine biologist. I was going to be a, a, a theoretical physicist. I checked every single one of them puppies. And then God called me into ministry, and I had to change plans. Um, and I'm okay with that because I still love science because science still points me to God. When I study the very, very vast or the very, very minute, and you get into like, like quantums, 
which are smaller than atoms, and, and, and you go, this is God, man. And you get into the vastness of the universe that has no end, and you're like, this is God. And I, and I say that to say, there are things in the world that God has placed strategically to draw people into himself. That is part of prevenient grace. And when we, when we tie this into our movie today, I, I believe that is what Rapunzel was drawn by those lights in the same way that you and I are drawn by things in this world that God has put in this world. For uh, I, I, I have not sure that I know a, a, a mother that wouldn't say that, it's not always easy, don't get me wrong, but that, the, that childbirth is at least miraculous. What all happens in a woman's body is incredibly intricate or ornate. And, and the, the putting together of, of a human body is, is just this insane process. It's amazing. And, and so there are things like that that draw us to God. Um, even us that are, I would assume most of us in this room would, would say, yes, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. But we were once drawn by something. Something brought us to a moment when we made a choice to follow Jesus. And it may have been the vastness of creation. It may have been a friend who was miraculously healed. It may have been a family member who walked out their faith in front of us. In fact, for most of us, it was probably the latter. For most of us, we probably came into faith because the light that drew us in was the reflection of Christ through somebody we cared about. That was the drawing light. That was the light that said, that, though, is the shadow on the wall. And the reason I talked about Plato's allegory today is that these lights we see are often the shadows, even though to us they're very real. Uh, what I mean by that, what I mean by that is that if you look to me and you see a flicker of God's light in me and it draws you to him, that's great, but I cannot properly display the light of Christ. I try, but it has to shine through the murk of who I am still becoming. And, and, and so, so when, you, when, when people see me, if they're looking for a perfect example of God's light, they, they will find that there are times when, when I miss the mark, that I am only a shadow on the wall, but I'm pointing you, I'm drawing you to say there is something greater. There is something greater. When, when random acts of kindness happen in the world, we're saying this is a random act of kindness, but it's only a shadow of the greatness and goodness of God. And so... Um, so those things, though, are, they draw us to them. Um, once we enter, so we're drawn by the light, but once we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we begin the process of illumination, which is understanding the world around us through the lens and understanding of Scripture. And this is where the problem comes in. As we begin telling others about our newly discovered knowledge, we are rejected. I mean, you can live 30, 40 years in, in, in the world as a worldly person and get saved, and I will, not, I, will, I will rejoice with you, but your friends will probably reject your choice for two reasons. One, they don't believe you. And two, they don't like it. And so um, when, we, when we're given this new knowledge of who God is and it starts 
for most of us, it starts as a kind of minor understanding and it grows and it grows as we read his word and as we attend services and as we dialogue with other Christians about things of faith. And can I just tell you, it is so important, Christians, that you talk about godly things with your godly friends. I mean, it's so important to understand the world through God gave us each other. God looked at the world when he created it and said, everything is good except one. It's not good for man to be alone. That was he said that at the very beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. He said, you need communion with God and communion with others. He said that from the very beginning. And it's still true today. That's why the church is so, so important. I've never done that in my life when I'm preaching. But man, it felt good. The oil is flowing. Ah. Uh, I was. We were talking recently and... Um, with someone who said it's hard as a Christian because you don't want to be that Christian that when people see you coming, they go the other way. Oh, here comes that crazy. He's going to tell him about God again. <laughs> Better get, hide an aisle. You know, you're like looking behind the tide, you know. It's not. But he wants to be a good witness of faith. And how do you balance that? How do you... You don't want to also don't want to be the Christian that when your friend dies and goes to hell, they say, why didn't you tell me? So there's a balance and it's hard in the same way that any lifestyle change is initially rejected by others. Guess what? I'm a vegan. <laughs> Guess what? I started this new program and you want it. That's a Mickey Mouse voice almost. Whatever, whatever initial change, whenever you make a lifestyle change, and it's easy, it's easy to talk about it too. It's like, man, dude, I've been working out. I never felt this good in my life. And they're looking at you like, how long have you been working out for? And they're like, oh, started yesterday morning. <laughs> Brutal, but you should try it. It's great. You know, like, I, people want to see something. They want to see consistency. See, the opposite of hypocrisy is consistency. And so they want to see, are you a hypocrite? Are you just saying, yeah, I worked out today so that for the next six weeks, I think you're working out when you worked out once and ate potato chips the other five and a half weeks? Oh, no. Or do they see a consistent change? Do they see a beneficial change? Do they see a change that not just benefits you, but do they see that there's a problem in their own life that also can be benefited by that change? And that's where the balance comes when you consistently day and day and day when you say to your friend when they're going through a hard time they tell you about it and you say you know what you know my beliefs on this subject and I just want you to know I'm praying for you and I believe it's going to help you but I'm here for you if you need anything else but know you have my prayers go one step farther and say can I pray for you right now but don't make them feel weird it's okay if they feel a little uncomfortable but don't make, it, you know, don't make it weird to say, is it okay if I pray with you? If not, I'll pray at home. That's no big deal, you know? But do it. Let them know. Send them a message two weeks later that says, hey, I just want you to know I've been thinking about you and I'm praying for you. That says, man, they really stuck with it. They actually did it. By golly, I don't believe it. When they see your, when they, we live in the world where Facebook is a real thing and you just got to deal with it. And when they look at your Facebook wall, what do they see? Do they see a consistent Christian? Do they see Christian at all? I, I, man, my gut checked was about, I was gut checked about this a while back. Like, I just share funny stuff. 
And I'm like, man, maybe I should use what platform I have. Occasionally, I should talk about the church that I love so much. You know what I mean? Occasionally, maybe I need to, to try to be a godly example as a father and a parent. And maybe I should try by being a godly father and parent once in a while. But I, I should try to use that platform without, I don't want to always share Bible verses because I want people to want to see and to, to not unfollow me. But I also want it to be a very real and authentic part of who I am. Because my faith is a very real and authentic part of who I am. And, and everything I do, my Facebook profile and the way we decorate our home, and, and all of these things should reflect that. And, and Megan and I, we, we, we talk about that a lot. Um, so today our scripture that we read is addressing this very problem. The message, uh, message of Jesus is this profound, somewhat paradoxical, but beautiful explanation of a world that is fallen and redeemed, but not yet fully, which is just as confusing as what he said. It's hard, though, because if it's a true message, if the message of the cross is true, it requires much from us. And I'll once again point to last week's message where we discussed the only way to rid ourselves of the beast is to let him die. And this is not a fun message to hear if you are a beast. When you go into a world that is, that is beastly, as we talked about, and you say, you need to die, and you need to die, and you need to die, they're like, no, bad Oprah. The message of the cross should be you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. You get a blessing and you get a... No, it's you got to die and you got to die and you got to die. And then one kid says, I died yesterday. And you say, yeah, you got to die every day. This is fun, isn't it? Being a Christian is great. And when we share that message with, G, with, with others, yes, it's initially going to be rejected. They don't understand it to be true. They have to see it. They have to be drawn into it. And they do that through a relationship with you as a reflection of Christ. In this specific passage, Paul is referencing two people who were resistant to his message of, cro- of the cross. First, he's speaking to the Greeks who valued their philosophy so much. Oh, we're great wise philosophers. We're so smart. And he, he addresses the... the um, he knew that humanistic philosophy is incomplete. It's only grasping at shadows. And he's also speaking to the Jews, the religious people, his folks. He was a Jew. And he's saying, your law is not, does not make you complete. You walk around with your arrogance and you're, oh, we got the law, man. We're good. We got the law. First of all, he's like, first, you should follow it. Second of all, it's not complete. It's incomplete. The law for the Jews had become an idol that they worshiped instead of a, a, they didn't understand it as the shadow of God. They believed it to be God and they worshiped it as such. The law says when God was literally standing before them saying, actually, what is it? They're like, no, you, we reject you. We like our shadow better. The light is too bright. We don't like it. Dogs feel weird. We don't like them. Shadows, they feel fine. They're totally cool. We're cool with the shadows. Let us have the shadow. We don't want the light. Shadows cannot exist, though, without the light. Jesus is the light, and the world we live in points to him. If we merely understand and look, and here's what we find. This is important. Like Rapunzel, It was about her all along. 
And like Rapunzel, it was about us all along. The lanterns released every year on her birthday were a love letter in the sky to her, a promise that her family had not given up hope. The light of Jesus reminds us that though we are currently trapped in a world whose prince is not good, we we know the devil is referred to as the prince of this world, so the prince of this world is not good. God's love gives us hope. There is a life outside of this one, and it is better than this one. And we are called to respond to the light of God and to share that light with others to set them free. It's a selfish thing indeed to know the love of God and not invite others into it with you. But God has created a world, designed a world, put relationships around you strategically to point you to him. He cares about you that much. When Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, he was the light on display. Say, look at me. This I do for you. And this I do for your friends and your family. And it is important that we share that light of God with them as well. And how would the world change? How would the world change if we not only lived every day with an understanding of who God is, but we actively worked to teach the world around us about him? How would your home look different? How would your school look different, kids? How would, how would your workplace look different if, if everything you did was about pointing people and drawing people to God? Always thinking, always acting, always doing. So this morning, I encourage you to recognize that Jesus loves you. He, he has put things in this world to draw you into him because he wants to have a relationship with you. And also, I would encourage you, I would encourage you that you, I, I, will, I will let you know you will be rejected for your message, but I would encourage you to share it anyway. I would encourage you to be the light of the world that Jesus is calling you to be. I would encourage you to be the lantern in the sky. I would encourage you to, to be the thing in somebody's life that draws them into a relationship with Jesus. At some point, that they'll look to you and say, all along, you were there. The lights in, in Rapunzel every year on the same day at the same time. Consistency gave them value and value drew her out of the tower. Your consistency as a follower of Christ will draw others to the Christ in you and out of their prison in the tower. It's a beautiful thing when Christians show the world the light of Jesus. Would you, would you join me? Would you bow your heads, please? God, this morning, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for special grace that has saved so many of us from sins that we've committed. It is unmerited, it is undeserved, but you give it freely to us, and we thank you for that. God, we thank you that we live in a world that that you are redeeming through a process. And God, we thank you that in this world, there are good things that happen even to bad people, because When good things happen to bad people, it's a sign that God is at work. It's not deserved, but it's still good. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see your signs, to see the lanterns in the sky that that you have placed for us, to remind us of your love, to remind us that after all these years, you haven't given up on us, to draw us home to you. 
And Lord, I pray that from each person, when we, when we leave this building today, God, that it will be a releasing of lanterns into the world. That we, as we leave this place, will be releasing lanterns that will go out into this community as a, as a reflection of the God we serve. That we will point people and draw people not to a building, not to a pastor, not to, to a, a specific denomination, but that we will draw people into a relationship with you, Jesus. And we do that by living our own life consistently for you. So we follow you step after step, mile after mile, day after day and year after year, God. We walk in step with you. And we ask that through our faithfulness to you, you will draw people into relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, thank you so much. Have a great blessed day.